Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Thistle Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that cares about Scottish rugby. How are you guys doing? I am joined, as usual, by my beautiful assistants, Alan. Hello. And Matt. Hi, guys. How are you all? If you're listening to us, you're either doing it through the ACAST podcast app or on iTunes. And if you're chatting to us, you're usually doing it via Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. If you are uh, on iTunes, please get on there, leave us a review. It uh, really helps us uh, with our rankings, lets us chat about Scottish rugby to more people. So why don't you get in touch um, like our friend Dan Park's Ego did. Um, he said, it's a great pod about the greatest subject ever. Thoroughly enjoying stuff, even the occasionally shocking lack of knowledge exposed in the quiz section is pretty entertaining. See you lads in Opal Lounge. That's mainly you, I think, on the quiz front. So, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that shocking lack of knowledge is me. It's like the, the 2004 Scotland squad two weeks ago. I wasn't, uh, wasn't fully boned up on that. I think, to be fair, we get a lot of the questions wrong in the first place, so it might be referring to that as well. That is true. And also, I've signed an exclusive contract with Shanghai, so I will only <laughs> be drinking there. Uh, we've got to apologise for a missed week of podding as well. Didn't do one last week. Hanny had another anime conference to go to, so yeah, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. We've got an amazing episode for you. We've just had a, a really great chat um, with um, BT Sports and uh, ITV rugby commentator uh, Nick Mullins. Really, really interesting guy with amazing insight, and he, he loves Scottish rugby. He's been um, been in the Glasgow camp a lot around the European Champions Cup, and um, interestingly for our Edinburgh fans, he was with Richard Cockerell at the weekend, so he can give you guys some really decent insight about what Richard is going to bring when he comes to Myerside 
in the summer. Um, so let's have a look at what we're going to be chatting about uh, this week. Obviously, we're going to start with the two big games of the weekend, Edinburgh versus La Rochelle and Glasgow Saracens and what we made of those results. We're then going to go in the middle of the pod to our interview with uh, Nick Mullins. And then we're going to have a look at what we think is becoming quite a key issue for Scottish rugby. Is Finn Russell Scotland's Danny Cipriani or is he going to become our Bowden Barrett? But why don't we crack on, as we always do, with a little bit of news, lots going on. Let's start with some pretty bad news um, for Scottish rugby fans um, in general, probably more than on the Edinburgh side. And obviously Mark Bennett has gone under the knife. Full ACL reconstruction surgery is going to be out nine months to a year. A really bad blow for him and for uh, Edinburgh. Yeah, I think it's a real shame. He, he seems to have had a bad couple of years. He had a big injury um, prior to touring with the Sevens um, at the Olympics. And I think even when he went on that tour, it just slightly changed, I think, his body shape. He lost a bit of power and size. Um, and since then, he's obviously he's not been able to get back into the Scotland team and sometimes not even into the Glasgow team. Um, obviously that's sort of driven his move to Edinburgh and this has just come at a really really bad time so it's bad for Edinburgh he sort of seemed to be the kind of marquee signing for next year and obviously it's really bad for him so hopefully he can come back from it um, ACL is obviously a, a tough one to come back from but he's still young I suppose and has, has time on his side Yeah I think especially for a player who's so much for the game is based on just sort of pure speed that sort of it's going to be a real tough one to come back from and I think especially for sort of Cockrell who's sort of coming in and the, the back the Edinburgh back line especially in the latter half of uh, this sort of season has really just been lacking um, so much in terms of attack and I think Bennett could really brought something to uh, to that back line but no sad to see him out and hopefully uh, hopefully he's going to be okay uh, got anything else we got Strauss looks like he's not going to be back which, you know, is a sad one for a guy who's, I mean, I think this year, almost more than any other year, he's some of the games, you know, obviously for Scotland against France and in the Champions Cup, he's really sort of stepped up and showed. So why he's such an important player. And I think we'll come on to it in the Saracens game, but I think one of the key things that we talked about was having not having him in that team and being able to sort of, get front foot ball and sort of deal with the physicality of Saracens is just something we're going to really, really miss this next year. And I think it becomes even more obvious that Glasgow really need to sort of um, get a big ball carrying back row so we can sort of fill that void. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so and get well uh, soon. That's a hell of a contact he must have taken down in Paris for to damage his kidneys to such an extent that he's out for almost, uh, I mean, we're talking about five or six months by the time he's going to be back. So uh, get well soon, Josh. And um, Sale fans, I'm sure you're looking forward to to having him next year. Um, a couple more bits of movement to the uh, the pro sides, all coming out of George Watson's college or... <laughs> the breeding ground of great rugby and podcasting talent. Um, we've got Ali Miller, who's been down um, with uh, London Scottish. Um, he has signed a two-year deal today with um, Edinburgh. He seems like a pretty handy player, doesn't he, Matt? Yeah, definitely. Um, he's sort of done the, the whole sort of traditional route in terms of playing the age groups, um, playing at Watsonians after school, looking impressive, um, and then moving down to Melrose for a bit before going to, to London Scottish. Um we, when we were down watching Scottish against Ealing, um, for a young guy, he's got a hell of a lot of physicality. You know, he was, he was mixing it with guys who are a lot older than him. Um, he's also played the Scotland Sevens a bit, and from what I've seen, he's a, a sort of a rangy runner with pretty good skills as well, actually. So 
I think it's good for for Edinburgh, considering the season they've had, to have sort of you know positive signing news of a, of a young guy coming in. Um, I suppose the ironic thing is Edinburgh pretty well sort of stocked in the in the back row, but I suppose he's got time to sort of make make his move. Um, and it seems as if at number eight, you know, a guy like Nasi Manu has been injured a lot, so hopefully he can sort of push through into the next season. Um, another, yeah, what's Watsonian's guy pains me to say, but. Robbie Nairn, um, moving from the Harlequins Academy um, up to to Glasgow. Um, and if, if you see this guy play, he's an absolute he's a hell of an athlete. He must be about six foot three. He's an absolute beast, and he's got a real sort of um, sprinter's gait. Um, he looks a really impressive player. Obviously, for Harlequins to sign him, um, they must have seen a lot of potential. Um, he's out with Scotland Sevens this week as well. So, bit of a shame he's not gone back to his hometown. But um, it looks like he's another pretty good signing for Glasgow. No, definitely. They what Robbie Nairn's off with the Scotland Sevens this weekend, so he's out in Hong Kong with Blair Kinghorn, which a bit of a strange one. He seems to have starred basically every game for Edinburgh this year, so it kind of gives you the impression that Edinburgh have pretty much post La Rochelle just sort of given up on this season and to kind of feel get Blair Kinghorn out to Hong Kong. I imagine he won't be getting too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was just going to say because I heard. Um, through the rumor, the rumor through the grapevine, sorry, that he was asked to play for Scotland under twenty against England under twenty, and he refused, presumably saying, "No, I've got a long season with Edinburgh to to go." But he's got the call up to Hong Kong Sevens. He's sort of had Wang Chai um, dangling in front of him in the south stand, and he's he's off. He's off like a like a rocket. So, you know, mysterious times, I suppose. To be honest, Hong Kong Seven sounds more attractive than Connacht, so you might, you might as well. To be honest, uh, I don't, I don't blame him at all. It's uh, one hell of a weekend. So good luck to Scotland Sevens and um, your cousins down there covering uh, another sort of Scottish linked team, the Project Water Boys, run by uh, Ian Munro, who's another Watsons lad. They've got a ten side uh, that are coming through the ranks in that sort of uh, touring, uh, touring side and playing in the Hong Kong Tens, which is a couple of days before the seven so good luck um good luck to them any other bits and pieces of news um glasgow coach dave rennie um getting his team five from five in the uh in super rugby so that he's still uh he's still pretty good at his job yeah i mean he's not got a bad group of players <laughs> down at the chiefs but yeah fun. i mean to be honest in the super rugby all the new zealand sides are absolutely crushing it so I'm pretty worried about the lines, but yeah, no, Dave Rennie, just Chiefs playing a great brand of rugby um, and really just sort of um, knocking teams back. So yeah, great to see. Um, yeah, and then I know I don't know if I'm going to talk about it later, but so Sean Lamont scored his bonus bonus point try. Great to see that man still just crushing it. He just he is just so good. Edinburgh should sign him actually, to be honest. I think I think he would he would do a job and yeah so getting that really crucial sort of uh, bonus point against Connor a couple of weeks a uh, couple of weeks ago but um, shall we focus in on the on the big ticket items um, Europe this weekend let's start on Friday night um, Edinburgh versus La Rochelle um, you know five and a half thousand supporters rattling around um, uh, rattling around Murrayfield was a, a little bit disappointing for a big European game. And um, watching the, watching the game, it's so I mean, just so so frustrating. I mean, it looked that Edinburgh were going to be maybe beaten by 30, 40 points uh, in the first half. La Rochelle's nine in particular, looking like an absolute firecracker, and just so many clean breaks. But 
as Edinburgh tend to do, there was some really, really nice touches. They, 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 they managed to hang on and they got themselves into a position with 15 minutes to go with a guy from La Rochelle in the bin where they actually could have maybe kicked on and, and won. But in the end, just too many, from, from my perspective, too many defensive errors and um, just not enough discipline in sort of really capitalizing on that extra man at that crucial um, uh, part of the match. Matt, you were with me in the pub. What did you make of it all? Yeah, I can't sort of disagree with much of what you said. I think starting with just Murrayfield as a whole was a spectacle. I think some people were saying we'd get maybe twenty thousand to the to the game. I mean, five thousand just the camera panning around. It's just you know echoey, cavernous place. It really is just a real sad sight to see. And I think often in that sort of match, it just sets the tone. I, I think that that can't fail to have an impact on the players in terms of their their preparation. Um, yeah, we did some really good things. Um, I think in particular, Hamish Watson just played so well, played absolutely out of his skin. It's, it's a combination with him of just absolute incredible work rate. He's all over the place and he's a hell of an athlete. He's got incredible pace. Um, he's a big lad, his yards after contact. And he was actually showing some pretty nice touches, which he's maybe not well known for, including a little chip, which um, should have probably set up a penalty try, but you know, got us some points in the end. But it was just... And when subs came on, it just seemed as if the whole team fell apart. I think that Duncan Weir has just proven consistently recently that he's not the man that's going to solve Edinburgh's problems. He had an absolute howler of a game, a lot of errors. Um, and I just think even if he plays at his best, he's he's um, very limited as a player. So yeah, just a pretty dire night overall. And that, that is truly Edinburgh's season capped off and a, a very poor one at that. Yeah, it's, it's it's just the amount of just stupid mistakes that Edinburgh are making that really really just kills you. It's you you get back in the game and then just accuracy accuracy at the line out and just sort of eat, just sort of miss just miss tackles kind of here there and everywhere and no, it's just really annoying to see because I think um, Edinburgh really pinned a lot on um, sort of the Challenge Cup and you could see sort of Hamish Watson after the game and then got man of the match, but just sort of didn't really it didn't really have much interest just kind of knowing that you kind of got four more games to to play um but if if anyone can sort of knock that out of them you're kind of hoping that a man of Cockrell's sort of stature and attitude will hopefully will hopefully bring that to them so no hoping for the best yeah just going back to Kinghorn I suppose talking about the sevens again I just don't see what that does for his development and it's obviously he's not requested it and if the, if he has requested it and they said yes, that's a complete joke. I mean, I just don't understand. He's he's a player with great potential. We know he's got the open running skills. So, I mean, if you're going to send him to the sevens to develop that, fair enough. But what's the point? It's other things he needs to work on, like his sort of one-on-one defense, which was exposed really badly by that little little nine. Um, I just it was like sending Tom Brown and Sean Kennedy out to the sevens as well. What what does that say for the development? I just I truly don't understand. I think it's completely stupid. And you know I think that we've Edinburgh still got Connacht on you know this weekend. I think they have a duty to put out their best team, and I would include Kinghorn in that. So yeah, it's just some funny stuff going on. It seems as if they truly have given up the ghost this season. I mean, it could be really embarrassing because Zebra all of a sudden and the Italian teams keep winning uh, winning games that no one expects them to, and um, and the Dragons. I mean, Edinburgh are not. They're they're not miles away from uh, being above these uh, the Italian sides, and that is, and it, I I think 
from a supporter's point of view, that is quite embarrassing. And I think from a player's perspective, if they let themselves get to the end of the season, um, I think that's a, that's, that's a really damning indictment on the um, on the club. And I just thought it was a real shame. I think there was a, a, a European uh, rugby rule that said it couldn't have been played at Meyerside, which I think is fair enough. And uh, but I just think if you could have done it with five and a half, a full Meyerside is completely is a completely different prospect than. Uh, a completely and utterly empty um, Murray Fields. But um, shall we um, shall we have a look at our little trip to Alliance Park on Sunday? Um, so we went down there um, to Alliance Park. Firstly, absolutely amazing. Hendon Rugby Club putting on sort of beers on the back pitches. And um, I mean, thousands of Glasgow Warriors supporters there a couple hours before the game. Really, really positive. Great atmosphere in the sun. Lots of... Uh, Lots of people getting sunburned in true Scottish tradition. Um, it, it, it was brilliant, and the, the whole setup down there w- w- was great. And um, but unfortunately, I think the frailties of that Glasgow team, which I think you can possibly multiply out to the frailties of the Scotland team, got exposed against a really incredibly physical, so well drilled um, Saracens team, and uh, they really squeezed the life out of Glasgow. Just kept the uh, the the board ticking over and. Within that first five minutes, we could have been twenty-one nil down if it hadn't been from some real last-ditch um, efforts against um, Chris Ashton and um, our own Sean uh, Sean Maitland. Yeah, I think the first thing to say is that Saracens is just one hell of an outfit. Like they're they're so well drilled; they know their game plan. Um, but what I what I was most impressed by was actually their sort of their open play. Um, they're they're absolute beasts physically and that allows them to offload and actually their offloading was was really accurate and had the Glasgow defence at sixes and sevens. Um and they just do the simple things very well. They Richard Wigglesworth, you know, probably is one of the best box kicks around. Um they got Ashton works really hard, chases um and gets on the end of things. I thought that, you know, it, the physicality Glasgow really struggled to cope with. Um, it is a small pack for Glasgow compared to um, to Saracens. And it's very hard for what is a talented backline to do anything when they're constantly on the on the back foot. And that's why you sort of saw um, Hogg and Seymour have very quiet games um, and Dunbar not do much with the ball uh, either. Um, I, I suppose the pros- positives, I thought that, Actually, Adam Ash coped very well with the physicality. I thought he carried well and he, he tackled well. Um, Ryan Wilson kept working all day. Um, I, th- I thought that sort of the, the experiment with Pergos didn't quite work, but I'm not sure if Ali Price could have changed much. Um, but I don't think him actually coming on off the bench worked that well. No, no, I don't think he did. One thing, Jim Hamilton dominated, <laughs> dominated the line out, didn't give away a penalty... And was offloading. Where the hell was that for ten years? <laughs> he was absolutely. Um, I, I mean, it, it it is good when you're part of that pack where it, they are just unbelievable. Um, but yeah, big Jim Lions Bolter. That's what. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was absolutely awesome. And uh, big Jim to big Brian, big twenty-three-year-old Brian. Like, firstly, I'd never seen him in the flesh. He is absolutely <laughs> enormous. He's the biggest man I've ever seen. What is what has his family been feeding him for a twenty three year old? He is uh, he is just the biggest man I've ever seen. No, he he is a big guy, but I think you're right when we say that pack we just got dominated. I think Strauss and Favaro being out, Swinson, 
I know obviously Brian came in, but Swinson is just a combative player. And then obviously Johnny Gray um, going off after about 20 minutes. I think sort of it was an HIA and he supposedly lost a tooth was the, the rumour that was getting chucked around. Yeah, he wore, an, uh, there's like a still photo going around on Twitter. He got an elbow from um, Owen Farrell, I think, when he was going through in some defence straight in the mouth. Jesus Christ. Uh, who was it that Owen Farrell got in? Oh, Ryan Wilson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Wilson harking back to his days in Barbecue Kings. Like, really. But it looked like Farrell um, picked on him, to be honest. It looked like um, there was a bit of a scrap. But it was good. No uh, no, no harm in that, really. It seemed, it seemed all uh, pretty lighthearted. But um, I think what, what for me really uh, struck me that, about that Saracens team was just, you know, just ball players, 1 to 15. You got the number of times Jamie George was standing in the 10 channel or... And making up and making sweet passes, Billy V. You can't knock him down first time, and he gets the ball free. And I just think Glasgow. There was one thing I think we talked about it an awful lot in that last Scotland game, or particularly after the England game, was Alex Dunbar's defence. There was a couple times in the first half where um, um, Farrell ran similar sort of plays, you know, loop around plays with lots of uh, misdirection in the midfield, and. Dunbar seemed to get turned really quickly. There was one in the first 20 minutes where Sean Maitland absolutely coasted through a massive gap. Um, so I don't know if there's a bit of an ongoing issue there with um, with with Dunbar's defence. Matt, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I think particularly um, when, when you've got that sort of the 10 to 12 and then the 13 coming in, the 10 looping around and you've got options there, either you give it to the 10 or the 12, he really struggled um, against that play um, in the England match and it was exactly the same and there was points where you know he had his back completely he was running literally in circles had a back turned to the defence um, yeah it's quite funny I, I don't know if since that England match his, his sort of confidence has been knocked slightly um, and w- once again he didn't really do that much in attack so I suppose that any slim chance of him going in the Lions has, has, has fallen by the wayside um, I think that obviously I can talk about it later but Finn didn't have his best game. Um, obviously, playing behind a pack that's going backwards is difficult, but things like missing two kicks to touch from penalties, absolutely inexcusable. And it, particularly the second one was at a point where I think Glasgow had just scored for a great finish from Lee Jones, who we should uh, mention. Glasgow had just scored. There was only a five-point gap, I think. Um, Six-point gap, sorry. And that was... a I don't think Glasgow would have gone on to win the game, but that was absolutely critical, and mentally it's just very frail. Yeah, I guess with this back line, it's something that can probably be put towards sort of Finn Russell, but it doesn't seem like the back line's got a plan B if the pack's not going forward. Um, I think we've seen it for Scotland against England and kind of, and possibly France, and we've seen it in the two games against Munster and now against Saracens. When, when they're getting good ball and they're going forward they can absolutely tear anyone to shreds. But when they're going backwards and they're not getting um, clean ball, they just don't seem to be able to handle it. And I don't know if that's something that is just kind of driven by a Price or Pergos and Russell, possibly not being those sort of players to handle it. I know you mentioned Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth was absolutely class on Sunday. And he's the sort of player that can just really, with, with how good he is at kicking can just help really settle a team that's on the back foot. And I just don't know if we have those skills in the back line. Um, and especially with sort of Favaro and Strauss leaving this summer, it's hard to see how that's going to improve. 
I know we sort of talk about Glasgow on this sort of development where they've sort of gone from sort of winning the Pro 12 and now they're starting to compete in Europe. You're kind of ho- you're wanting to see them kind of push on to the next stage. And I'm sort of at the moment just slightly struggling to see where that's going to come from. Yeah, I, I think you're quite right. Um, hopefully Dave Rennie and the SRU can knock their heads together and get some um, some nice recruitment going. I want, I want to comment on Lee Jones. I thought he was absolutely awesome. And in true style, it goes around in being a rugby pundit at the moment. Whenever anyone has a good game, Lee Jones, Lions bolter, surely. <laughs> yeah, I think it was um, Joey Carberry for Leinster against Wasps at the weekend. Had a blinder to be fair, but right away, I said he should definitely go in the Lions. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um I just want to make a broader point that I think that Glasgow can sort of take a lot from the match in terms of Saracens are where they want to be in a few years. And that's both on the pitch and off the pitch. I thought the whole sort of overall match day experience at the Alliance was was incredible. It was a, a great crowd. They sort of had their facilities really sorted. Um, the atmosphere was really good, um, sort of pre-match stuff. Um, and I think, you know, as Glasgow do now, playing on a 3G kind of rubber crumb pitch makes makes a big difference. Um so I think that's what Glasgow and, and Edinburgh should really aspire to. No, definitely. I saw a few of the Saracens players saying it was like the best atmosphere they'd had at the Allianz. So, and it, yeah, it it was absolutely um, class. So, but no, it's uh, I think Glasgow just need to. There's a slim, slim chance of them getting in the Pro 12 final, but they I think just got to try and knuckle down twenty points from the last four games and. Um, just sort of go into this, for a lot of them, go into this sort of Scotland tour, trying to sort of stay at sort of a, le- a level they've been at for most of the season. Yeah, it's not an easy run-in for Glasgow. I think they've got um, they've got Zebra or one of the Italian teams, in the, and uh, but they've also got Munster and Leinster within that four. So um, I think that's going to be pretty tough for them to take 20 points away from that. But uh, So it'll maybe go down as a bit of a disappointing season. For them, but when I mean, when you get completely carved out during the uh, the Six Nations process, what what can you uh, expect? So yeah, that was the weekend that was. We're lo- looking ahead, but uh, as we say, the main body of the pod, we had a really really great chat with um, with Nick Mullins um, about all things Scottish rugby. His um, coming through the ranks under Bill McLaren as a commentator and what he thinks about the Scottish game and um, some particular insight into Richard Cockerell. So um, enjoy it, guys. Here is um, Nick Mullins. Hi, guys. We're lucky enough to be joined by uh, BT Sport commentator and all-round good guy, Nick Mullins. Nick, how are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. Thank you for advising me on it. It's a nice to chat. Not, not at all. So uh, what have you been up to uh, today? You've been out to any clubs or anything like that? No, not today. It's been a busy a busy week, actually. I was doing um, a couple of games over the weekend in Bath, um, in the Challenge Cup against Breve on Saturday, and then we hot-footed it down to Claremont for again with Toulon on Sunday. Uh, flew back Monday morning, drove up to Sale on Tuesday. So today was a kind of admin day, email day, yeah. just kind of with all the normal boring stuff. But uh, yeah, it's a busy time of the season, but but it's exciting. Isn't yeah, it? that's a that's a pretty tough schedule. Were uh, were there any of the Scottish boys playing for Bath the weekend? Was Denton Denton on the park or Adam ha- Adam Hastings in the squad? Uh, Adam Hastings came off the bench. Uh, Denton wasn't playing. Um, I think I think he's fit. He was he was certainly training at Farley House last week when I went down to watch them train. Um, but um, yeah, Adam Adam Hastings had a had a little bit of a run. I'm going to be interested to see how he 
you know, gets on um, up in Glasgow next season. He's a he's a player of real quality, isn't he? And you know, I think I think he's made the right move to get to get more regular game time. Yeah, I think that that that's definitely what's what's driving him. And and from Scotland perspectives, we've talked a lot on the pod about how we desperately need a, a sort of solid backup for Finn Russell at that yeah. international level. And I think if Adam can get in the, at Glasgow and get some good game time under his belt as Finn's sort of apprentice, I think that's only going to be a a really good thing for him and uh, and the Scotland team. Yeah, we've got, we've got a guy um, playing for Saracens called Alex Alex Lazowski, mm. who, who never really got a look in at Wasps the season before last. Uh, and yeah, you know, I think Lazowski is probably a little bit further along the line than than Hastings is, is at the moment. But I think, given the opportunity, you certainly see signs in him that you saw in Lazowski. I think he could be um, he could be a very good player. So yeah, we'll get more into uh, your thoughts on Glasgow and Edinburgh and the Scotland team later. But we thought we'd just just look back and. Talk a little bit how you've come to be the the sort of new voice of rugby on uh, on BT Sport, uh, getting everyone's dream job watching <laughs> rugby, uh, watching rugby uh, for a career. And um, I believe you you were sort of brought into the BBC to try and fill that that void, that great void left by uh, Bill McLaren. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been doing it um, about ten years up to that point before before dear old Bill retired. I, I, pretty much the, the basic journalistic background, really. I wanted to be a newspaper reporter initially, uh, and then found radio and eventually found TV and via BBC Local Radio and Radio 5 Live and commentating on, on lots of other sports beyond rugby at the time on the radio. Um, Telly realised that they were going to have this vast chasm when, when Bill was retiring in the early 2000s. Um, and they, they looked at me and, and Eddie Butler, who was, who was coming through at the same time. And they were losing Nigel Starmer-Smith as well. We forget Starmer sometimes. But, you know, they were losing two iconic voices at the same time. So, so it was me and Eddie uh, handed the short straws. But, you know, hey, we've, we've done what we could do. There's no, there's no way you replace Bill. He was the best and always will be the best. But um, things move on. And, uh, you know, we try to be as good as we can be. And is it true to say that he was really a sort of trailblazer to the amount of, of work that you guys do in, in your preparation for the games and um, making it look so effortless or sound so effortless when you're on uh, commentating on a game at the weekend? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the thrills of, of growing up um, early on in my career on Radio 5 Live and in the BBC at that stage was that it was still full of, of so many brilliant broadcasters, Ian Robertson, um, as he still is, was was the radio correspondent. So I learned loads off Robbo. And Bill was just so generous in his time and his advice. And the best advice he gave me as he was as he was preparing to put down the microphone for the last time was, "Don't fail trying to be me. You know, don't don't use animal analogies <laughs> if they don't feel right to you. Um, you know, succeed being you because if you fail trying to be me, you'll always wonder." what might have happened if you'd just been yourself. And, you know, that's something that stuck with me throughout the entire entirety of my career, to be honest. He was he was so generous in in his advice and his time. Um, and I guess like lots of it, you know, when we have our own career dreams, you learn so much uh, from just watching those that you're working with. And I remember turning up at Sophia Gardens in the mid-90s on a Friday before a Wales game. And it was pissing it down. And, you know, no one in their right mind would have been standing outside unless you're about to play in a rugby match. But Bill was there um, with his tartan scarf on and his big coat and his bag of Hoyt balls reciting (laughs) the names in his head. And I thought, crikey, you know, if Bill at the level he is still feels that this is the way to prepare for a game 40, 50 years into the job, then this is the way it has to be done. Um, So my job is all about preparation. It's about... 
you know, recreating what Bill did during the week and going around the grounds and putting the putting the miles on the car and speaking to players and coaches. So hopefully, when I come to talking to you guys via the telly um, on match day, I've got I've got something vaguely intelligent worth saying. So, so does that does that uh, huge amount of travelling take you north of the border a lot? Have you been into to see the squad at Glasgow and spend time with um, with Gregor and the guys? Yeah, it does. I mean, the, the the big difference between radio and television, as I'm sure you'll understand, is that there's a, there's a big contractual divide. So I don't get to see Glasgow and Edinburgh much, uh, if at all, in the Pro yeah, 12, because yeah. that's that's a competition that Sky covers. So Miles Harrison, who who I grew up with on Radio 5 at the same time, gets to see a lot of, of um, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Uh, we're clearly based largely with the Premiership on BT. But I do get the opportunity during Champions League weekends to, to head up. And I always make the most of the opportunity. So I've been to Glasgow a couple of times this season um, and, you know, lucky enough to spend time with Gregor. And- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Watch them train at Scotston. And again, you can spend a day on on Google trying to work out how they play, what they're thinking of doing. We're, we get access to videos on, on on Opta, so I have all of their games on the laptop at home. But a day spent at Scotston, just watching them do what they do, talking to the guys, talking to Chris Patterson if he's there, helping them train, is, is just invaluable. That's where you get your best stuff. And what do you think it is that, that has made Gregor Townsend such a sort of successful coach and has earned him that promotion to the Scotland role? Do you know what surprises me, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, what surprises me a little bit about Gregor becoming such a fabulous coach is that he was a player who, who at least seemingly played it off the cuff. Um, you know, you remember the little back flick that set up Scotland mm. for that for the historic try in Paris all those flip. years ago. You know, he was the kind of Finn Russell of his day, if you like. He didn't really play it by the book. He didn't imagine him swallowing too many playbooks when, it, when he was involved as a player. Um, so it is fascinating that he's that he's made that transition and has, has made the impact that he has. Um, when you talk to the players, or if you talk to somebody like Finn Russell or Stuart Hogg, and you say, what is it that makes Gregor such an inspirational coach? The thing that, that they will say almost uniformly is that he's always asking them to question what they're doing. Um, and in a particular phase of a particular match, if they do something, why have you done that? Was that the best thing to do? Uh, and they're doing that in training as well. And I think I think that's that's Gregor's great strength. He, he, he never accepts what we might feel to be the norm. He's always questioning whether you might do something differently. And if you do do something, was that the right way of doing it? And, you know, 
he, he has his own unique style, but I, th- I think the fact that he gets the, the players to think about the way they're playing so much is one of the keys. Yeah. I mean, we, we had Adam Ash on the pod um, a couple of weeks ago, just sort of uh, uh, chatting about his, his return from injury and things like that. And one of the things he said about Gregor, and obviously he got his, uh, his national debut under Verne, he just says that Gregor, what Gregor does is put out a product that looks like they're playing off the cuff, but it is incredibly, incredibly structured. Um, which we thought was re- really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I heard him say that, and I thought that was interesting as well. I think, I think the key to any great coach is is to clearly there has to be a structure. And you look at the way that Saracens played last weekend against Glasgow, and there is a structure there that we can all see. But at the same time, when that structure gets you into into the twenty two, or it puts you in a position where you need to get out of your own twenty two, sometimes you still then got to rely on the player's innate ability. An inspiration to deal and play the right cards, and I think I think that's that's Gregor's genius, and I guess to a certain extent it's Vern's as well. I don't know Vern anywhere near as well as yeah. I know Gregor, but it was it was you know it was fascinating listening to listening to Adam talk about that. Yeah, and we, we were down at Allianz Park on um, on Sunday, um, actually getting a little bit sunburned. It was a little bit too hot for the Glasgow boys. I think it was probably part of the. Uh, <laughs> Do you have your hats on? Part of the issue. No, we didn't. I mean, we didn't even leave the house with any sort of uh, thinking it was going to be hot at all. So we were caught a bit You're short. Risk takers. Aren't I know, I know. But um, one thing that I think Gregor said in the in the lead up to that match was that he thinks that Glasgow are maybe two or three years behind Saracens in terms of their development. Um, and I think I, I think that's probably about right. What, what do you think that Glasgow need to sort of um, to do to get to that next sort of level? I think they need to lose games like Saturday. Um, I think you look at where Saracens have, have come from and they were getting to the stage of getting to semi-finals and losing them, getting to finals and losing them. And it's, you know, it's, it's nothing that you wouldn't have heard from anybody else previously, but it just comes from playing together, winning together and losing together and working out you know, how, you, how you, you sort out that fine line between, between one and the other. Um, and, and really, actually, last weekend for Glasgow summed up how it is most weekends in the Premiership for other English clubs against Saracens. You know, you feel you can be in the game for so long. You can feel you be in, you can be in the contest for, to half-time. But it takes so much effort dealing with... They're almost like an anaconda, aren't they? And it'll be interesting to know how you guys felt about watching them in the flesh. But what they do is so impressive. It seems so simple, but it just, in the end, crushes the breath out of any team. And they've developed that over five, six, seven years of losing. Um, so I absolutely get what Greg is saying. But I think, I think you know, Glasgow have got the ability. We all can see that, that, that you know, experiences like last weekend will only end up building to bigger and hopefully better things. Yeah, definitely. I think two, a couple of things from the game on Saturday was, firstly, just how great a venue Allianz Park is. Mm. It was, mm. and that, especially on a Sunday when the sun's out, it was such a great setup. But also just the fact that Glasgow, I think, sort of five years ago, how we're getting sort of 4,000 people per game. And I think for us, it was just so great to see that we get sort of 5,500 Glasgow uh, supporters. I, I, that was one of the stories of the weekend for me, even before the games kicked off. The fact that so many Warriors fans were there to see. I, I just thought that was magnificent. And the, the atmosphere was, was incredible, wasn't it? It really was. Mm. And that was, you know, that was so, so heartening. And I've been to Scotstown a couple of times this season and well for the for the racing games we did both of the racing games on on, on bt yeah. so i saw glasgow at their best and i you know i, I listened to scotston at his 
best on that Friday night as well, a week a week later. And I just thought it looked and sounded incredible in North London on Sunday. Yeah, it it, it really was brilliant. Um, I mean, it's quite interesting that sort of you look back at five years ago where Glasgow were, and there's a lot of one of the biggest criticisms levelled at the SRU is that they've thrown all their eggs into one basket at the other end of the M8 from uh, Edinburgh, but there is a slight sort of feeling that that might be changing with the let's say a big name signing of Richard Cockrell to come in as the new um, of the new headman. You you know uh, Richard fairly well. I mean, what what sort of difference do you think he can bring to a side like Edinburgh? Oh, he'll he'll just bring an energy and an enthusiasm. And you'll you know if you're Edinburgh supporters, you'll love having having him as your as your coach next season. He'll be top of your list to go out for a beer with. He's such great company. He loves the game. He he lives the game. Um, and, and, and I don't know whether whether Edinburgh need re-energising. Those much closer to the club will will know that. Those of you who watch them week in, week out will know that. But whatever extra energy they need, whatever direction they need pointing in, Cockrell will do that. He's just a brilliant rugby man. Um, he'll, he'll create the right environment for for players to work in. He was, he was telling me a fantastic story of the weekend um, of how he's kind of had to hold his nose a little bit down in Toulon because um, just the general culture around the club is different. We, know, we all know about it, but meetings that are due to start at 10, past, uh, at, at 10 o'clock, if you turn up 10 minutes late, then that's okay because that's what happens in France and you go around and shake everyone's hands. So actually it doesn't start until half past 10. And he was making it absolutely clear that that's not the kind of shit that he's, he's going to be running mm. at Maya side or, 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 or Murrayfield next season. And I think the players will respond to that. If the players don't respond to Cockerell, then there's, there's something wrong. He's, he's a brilliant signing for Edinburgh, I think. Yeah, I think in recent years, Edinburgh have gotten to a bit of a sort of comfort zone. I'm sure he'll... To try and break that. Um, what speaking to him? What kind of style do you think he's going to bring to Edinburgh? Because I suppose in recent seasons he's kind of been caught between two stools of sort of sticking to his forward-oriented game plan, but then trying to play a more expansive game plan as well. And that sort of seemed to create a tension between him and Major that obviously was resulting in in both of them going. So, what do you think he'll bring in the sort of strategy side of things? Well, the, the, I, I've got a question for you in response to that. Who who will be Edinburgh's backs coach next season? It's Duncan. Duncan Hodge is being demoted from head coach to. Okay, so 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 Duncan will will have an absolutely pivotal role to play, and Richard will let him play that. Um, Major and, and and Cockrell, who were still good friends, incidentally, fell out on 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 fundamentals, and that's the reason that that in the end they both lost their jobs at Welford Road this season. But Edinburgh fans should think about the way Leicester were playing when Matt O'Connor was the backs coach under Cockrell a few seasons ago. And they very nearly got it absolutely right. They will play a growly, gnarly, grizzled game up front, which you'd want. You know, the scrum will be good. The line-out will work. They'll hit the breakdowns hard. Um, but if Duncan Hodge can do what Matt O'Connor was doing with the backs, they'll get quick ball, they'll get secure ball, they'll get decent possession. And it'll then be up to Duncan Hodge, clearly, to, to drive those backs. But it won't be entirely forward-dominated. Cockrell's bright enough to know that you're not going to win competitions based on an eight-man game these days. So, you know, I think I do think it's really exciting for, for Edinburgh next season. Yeah, I think so. And I think from a Scottish perspective, I think we are sort of hamstrung with only having those two pro clubs and only really having, you know, one and a half operating. It's never going to be a great uh, situation where you've got 13 of the starting 15 coming from Glasgow, no matter how good it is for them in Europe. It has hampered them a little bit in the Pro 12, obviously during those... Um, international uh, periods but 
what do you make of the general sort of health of Scottish rugby? Because, I mean, if you, you've been watching it for the last 20 years like we have, there's not been many good days. Um, I, do you think it's fair for us to have that optimism that we've really turned a corner in, on that international level? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I remember um, I, I'm, I'm, I grew up with, with Andy Irvin as one of my heroes. So, I, you know, I grew up in the kind of golden age of the 70s and 80s. Um, and there were, there were signs in the very early days of professionalism with the Hastings brothers and, and Townsend that, that things were heading in the right direction. But I think we all know that, that professionalism perhaps wasn't handled in the way that it, it, it might have been, or certainly in the way that it was in England and, and definitely in, in Ireland. But it, it's, taken a, it's taken a generation perhaps to, to write itself but I see what Glasgow are doing this season. I've seen what Edinburgh have been doing in, in recent seasons. And, and the structure's in place, isn't it? I agree with you. It'd be nice to, you know, I kind of think it's a, a team in the borders would, would give you the perfect symmetry. But for, for what they felt was good reasons, they're just working with two at the moment. When the money's there uh, and when the, when the player pool is there, then I, you know, I don't know how you guys feel, but I would have thought that a team in the borders would be a reasonable idea. But, but right now, you know, we're heading in the right direction. Uh, where, where are Scotland in the world rankings? Are they, are they fifth at the moment? I mean, you know, whether, whether they are actually the fifth best team in the world is neither here nor there. You know, they're, they're, they're winning games. They're winning games that I, I think two or three years ago they would have lost. They would have lost to Ireland at the start of the Six Nations two or three years ago. They might have lost to Wales. You know, I, I think they're definitely heading in the right direction. And the quality of the young players that, that, that are coming through the academies at both Glasgow and Edinburgh, you know, really, really give hope for the future. Yeah, definitely. I think for, for us, even sort of last five, ten years, we've always felt that we were sort of probably in that bottom two with Italy, if people were sort of looking at Six Nations. And I think this year, especially as the first year, we've really felt that we belong um, with sort of the Wales and Irelands and Frances and probably not, yeah. not England after the Twickenham game. And do you, know, do you know, critically as well, I think, I think the, the, the key to that is the players genuinely feel they yeah. belong you know that that Glasgow team that that went to to Paris and beat Racing Metro uh, you know Finn Russell out Carter in Carter and just put them to bed that that Friday night at Scotston that that performance at Scotston is is as good as anything I've seen Saracens produce this season who have been you know as consistent a club side as we've had down here in England uh, and, and we know you know the basis of that Scotland team is based around the Glasgow team at the moment. If, it, if there was a 50-50 split, then the, I guess the game would be that much more healthier in Scotland if Edinburgh can start to get a, a few more players back in the team. But if you have a bunch of blokes who know how to be uh, Rassing, who who put Leicester to bed mm. at Offord Road in the manner that they did, then it's just a simple matter of transferring that into the blue shirt of Scotland. No, definitely. And I think sort of post the uh, sort of Ireland and Wales games, we were sort of chatting about sort of six or seven Scotland players probably going on the lines, but I think probably what the England and now the sort of Saracens game has shown is I think for a few of these guys, maybe sort of like Johnny Gray, Alex Dunbar, even Finn Russell, maybe it's just sort of a year or two too early. And I think we're going to have sort of a you're going to have sort of Hog and hopefully people sort of like uh, Greg Laidlaw and WP Nell. Um, but I just wondered if there was any other Scotland players that you thought might sort of get a uh, get onto that plane to New Zealand. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think I absolutely agree with the three that you've mentioned. Um, uh, I think, will, will WP Nell be fit? Um, 
you'd, you'd hope that if he was fit, he'd certainly he might even be the starting tight head if he was if he was fit because you know he's he has been magnificent. Definitely, Hog. Um, I think he's got a battle on his hands to be the starting fullback because I know how much Gatland um, admires Halfpenny and the way Halfpenny defends and the way you're going to have to defend against the All Blacks. You, you watch Halfpenny run around. Um, he very rarely lets a kick bounce, and I think that's going to be absolutely critical yeah. when it yeah definitely. This. So as much as I, I mean, I love watching Stuart Hogg, but uh, you know, I think it's a toss up between Hogg and Halfpenny at the moment for the 15 shirt. But Hogg will definitely go. Nell, if fit, will go. Um, if I was picking it, Russell will go just because he offers something different. Um, Sexton will start at 10 in my mind. Um, and I, you know, I think he might even just take one more 10 because if Farrell starts at 12, you can get away with taking Finn as that extra option. That's somebody who offers something a little bit different to a, to a Sexton or a Farrell. So I'd be... I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was left out, but I'd be disappointed because I think he's earned his place on that line still. Yeah, what are, what are you hearing? Any any bolters or any bits of gossip and intrigue you can throw our, our listeners' way, Nick? Oh, we, we hear bit, we hear whispers and rumours all <laughs> the time. Actually, the, the, the place to be if you want if you want gossip, much of it unfounded and largely unbroadcastable. But if you can win a trip um, to a BT Sport game and, and and smuggle your way onto our dining bus before matches. And listen to Healy and Delalio and Andy <laughs> Nicol and O'Driscoll. They come up with with so much nonsense at times. However, <laughs> occasionally, occasionally there are bits of gossip that you know do prove to have some foundation. Um, whispers. Uh, we're, we're hearing that CJ Stander isn't an absolute surefire guarantee at the moment, which is interesting given given the season he's had. Um, Toby Falatau to Lupe Falatau will definitely go. Um, he's um, his, his his name's already there. Um, Farrell being considered as a possible captain um, alongside yeah. alongside Warburton, but you know nothing nothing beyond the stuff that you haven't heard. I'd imagine. Glad to hear the Falato stuff. I'm a massive fan of Falato. I think I, if possible, I think they should try to get him and Finapola in the team and put Falato. Yeah, at six. yeah. I saw him on Saturday for Bath, and yeah, he was playing against the Breed team for whom defence was an optional extra, but he was just. <laughs> Outrageous, and I, you know, I hope that, that I'm sure that Gatlin will will pick to a certain extent on form, but also disregard those who've who've you know not played much this season because of injury. And Falatau will come into that bracket, but a fit Falatau um, is is pressing to start in the team. I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the squad just feels like it's going to have lots of great strength and depth across it, particularly in that sort of second row area, and that's where I think the Gray brothers have come a come a bit of a cropper because you could probably pick all of the all of England's four or five options in the second row and no one would really contest you too much in terms of the quality. And then when you chuck Alan Wynne-Jones in there as well, there's just, there is a lot of depth. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's, it is so hard on them. And uh, But I think you do have to... You, you've got to disregard national allegiance here for a minute and just say, who are the world-class players? And those world-class players will go. Um, and... Uh, you know, as as tough as it is, I just think Locke is is such a competitive area at the moment. Any any other um, Lions year than than both of them would have would have been pretty confident of going. But I, I, I you know I'm just not sure it's going to happen for them this summer. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like uh, we kind of thought Cruz getting injured and Itoji moving to six might be quite a good thing for their chances. But it turns out that Launchbury and Courtney Laws have turned up and been absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, well, I know who would have thought that Courtney Laws. Um, 
this time last year would be would be you know on a Lions tour, but I, but I think yeah. he may he may well be there. Ian Henderson, who yeah. I've always been a big fan of for Ulster and for Ireland, and you know who he scored the try that saw off England a couple of weeks ago in Dublin. I, I doubt he's going to go as well. Some really good players are going to are going to miss out. Um, funnily enough, I, you know, based on Six Nations form, I thought Richie Gray was probably the better of the two brothers during the Six Nations. Completely, completely agree. I think he's maybe he was just annoyed at his little brother constantly getting all this good press. Um, I know. Oh, going back by the way, going back to the um, to the cockerel thing. I, you know, I know that you have a big listenership amongst the SRU um, in the pod. Um, they're going to have to up his wages. Because he's just discovered, he was telling me at the weekend, just how high rents are in Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> it comes as a little bit of a shock. Uh, I think it's about three times as much as he was paying for his um, for his semi in the middle of Leicester. So, uh, so he needs more money. Well, that's that's the big exclusive. We've I'm, been, I'm pretty. I'm pretty there. sure um, Scott Johnson, the director of rugby, does tune in. <laughs> Um, well, he pro- if he does, he's probably heard some pretty choice words about him in the past. But, um, yeah, exactly. Scott, I would, we'd recommend you pay, him, pay the man what he wants because he's going to do a good job. He'll be worth it. Um, well, Nick, that's been, that's been absolutely brilliant. And um, thanks so much for your time and your, your insight. Um, what have you got coming up this weekend? What games are you covering? Uh, a couple of games this weekend. Um, I have um, sale against Worcester. On Friday night, which was a game BT picked a couple of weeks ago, hoping that it might be a relegation battle, but now it isn't. Um, so you'll be hearing me <laughs> doing my best job on Friday night, um, and then on Saturday. It's interesting actually because the Premiership have got two huge games in London at big stadiums: uh, Wembley Saracens against Harlequins, and then at Twickenham um, a couple of hours before it's um, Bath against Leicester. So I'm doing the Twickenham game for BT Sport, preparing for that, and then I'm going on a busman's with my mates from the village just to um, have a few beers and watch Wasps against Northampton on Sunday. So it's, um, I'm, I'm the dullest man in the world. I just, just, you know, revolve around rugby. Uh, it doesn't sound too dull to us, uh, Nick. And um, thanks again for your time and um, hope it all goes well at the weekend. Yeah, pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the season, guys. Cheers. Thanks Cheers. a lot. Yeah, well, that, that was absolutely awesome. Um, what do you guys make of what, what he was saying about Richard Cockrell? Do you think he can make um, such a big difference at uh, Edinburgh next year? Yeah, it's very interesting. I think he'll definitely go in there and sort of crack a few skulls. And I think he, he's sort of going to go in there and, and take no prisoners, inst- try and sort of install a different culture, I think, which is, as Nick was saying, sort of there's no half measures. Um, there's no sort of um, just really, really high standards. And yeah, I think that I think he has to play a sort of adventurous style because under Solomons, you know, that was one of the big problems with both the players and the fans that the game plan was pretty um, sort of unambitious and he sort of paid for it. So hopefully he can sort of build a, a really solid pack and get the get the backs firing, bring in a few players. Um, and, it, you know, it sounds pretty exciting, actually. No, definitely. I think there's a bit of a perception, whether rightly or wrongly, that the SOU is a bit of a sort of like centralized communist um organization <laughs> which is in the fact that everything's really sort of delivered from the top and you know everything's so centralized and i think bringing in someone like cockrell who i just do not think will allow himself to to do that he'll command um a lot of the decisions over players especially like recruitment and i actually think for edinburgh that is exactly is exactly what they need um so yeah, I think uh, in la- after that and so the last few weeks, I'm starting to warm a lot more to um, Cockrell. I think I think it could be a really really good um, appointment actually.
Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And um, best of luck to him when he arrives. Good to hear that he's uh, he's good on the beers, but I reckon we probably could have uh, could have guessed that as well. Um, right. So our final final issue today, we're going to be talking about our man Finn Russell um, and whether we think he is going to end up being uh, a sort of Danny Cipriani type character and never quite reaching that level of potential that he's shown or do we think that he is just on an upward curve and he might end up like our very own Bowden Barrett that may be wishful thinking but Alan what do you reckon to that yeah no it's, it's a bit of an inflammatory title <laughs> to be honest but I think there's sort of the, the classic story of sort of four years ago when um, I think Hogg was looking at possibly moving to Ulster um, and I think sort of his game sort of kind of dropped quite a few levels after kind of this big intro into Scottish rugby. I know when he sort of had his debut against Wales and he was sort of absolutely crushing it at 20 years old. And I know Townsend said, you know, you can either be a Henson or you can be an O'Driscoll. And I think we can sort of, we've seen especially now with sort of two player of the Six Nations awards uh, for 2016, 2017, he's really sort of gone down the sort of latter path. And I think with Russell... We all know the potential that's there. He has the potential to be a real world-class fly half, um, as obviously Barrett has come to be. and as But Cipriani had that as well. C- Cipriani, when he was 20, was crushing it for Wasps and just hasn't managed to almost like refine his game enough. He hasn't, he hasn't got... The, I don't know if it's a mentality thing, but he's just never been able to take the game by the... Sc- scruff of the neck and really control the big games he'll he'll dominate Worcester but as you saw against Leinster on Saturday he was a bit all over the shop and I think was um, really hurt from that and it was probably one of the key reasons why they lost that game yeah and I think we've spoken about and I've spoken about particularly you know the the two Finn Russells that that can turn up on any match day and we saw that sort of Jekyll and Hyde mentality during the Six Nations like perfectly um perfectly shown i mean you've got your your great performances on a flat track against italy a man of the match you know you've got brilliant uh performance against wales and a great commanding performance uh against ireland delivering three scotland wins and then you get him the the performances um i mean england was a, an absolute shocker from 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 minute one but we've spoken about how finn d- didn't manage to adapt his game to provide the stability that a number 10 needs to and i think what alan mentioned earlier in the pod about that plan b for glasgow i don't think finn really has a plan b if he's not getting that fast front foot ball which he's getting um so I, i'm i'm a little bit concerned and i, I, I but i think Hopefully a guy like Dave Rennie coming in and that um, the continuation of his game at Scotland level underneath Gregor Townsend will allow him to refine that down. And um, God, I just hope he starts making touch from uh, from his penalties. That's just what really pisses me off. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it is so infuriating. He is very mercurial. He can do one incredible thing one second and then it's a complete nightmare the next. I mean, I'm just looking at sort of stats right now. He's, he's still only 24. And he's only played, including Glasgow and Scotland games, he's played less than 90 top-grade matches in his whole career. He was a bit of a late bloomer. You know, he got he got a shot because of injuries, really. It was a bit sort of serendipitous. Standoff is one of those positions where you, you do get a lot better with experience. And, and I suppose the, the optimist in me says that you know, he, he will learn from these England matches and these, these the Saracen matches where... He is under the cosh, and the, just the fact that you you have to have a slightly different approach to things, um, you have to maybe tighten up the game, you have to maybe put boot to ball a bit more, and and by that I don't mean sort of 
speculative chips, which he seems to love at the moment. Um, but no, I think this is a very pivotal time for his development. I I don't think he seems like the personality of someone like a Cipriani, who's a bit of a kind of a playboy. And I think that did play quite a lot into his sort of overall rugby development. I think he was arrogant to the point of sort of, you know, it, it was it was far too much. Um, I don't think he'll ever be probably as good as Bowden Barrett, but I still think he can do some pretty special things on the pitch. And I, I think at the same time, that shouldn't be sort of taken away or discouraged from, from what he does. To be fair, Danny Cipriani did go out with Kelly Brook. So... That's true. Finn went out with a, a Miss Scotland as well at one time. So maybe he does have that in him. I think on that arrogance point, you know that Daily Mail article he did during the Six uh, Nations in his camo shirt and his uh, and his flat cap, where he looked like sort of like bit part rapper. I mean, that's that's, that's not what you want. There is there is a sort of fine line between confidence and arrogance, and you're very right. Cipriani has fallen so far over into that arrogance, and uh, I think Russell's still very much um, firmly in that sort of confidence bracket uh at the moment and um but no i think uh i think we'll decide i think he needs to give dan parks a call i would i would love to see parksy parksy mentoring uh <laughs> mentoring finn that'd be amazing that'd be so good those really like low end over end kicks that dan park to do finn could learn a thing or two about that yeah we'll just have him sitting 10 meters back in the pocket and not really making tackles and going out in the piss all the time so i don't know if it'd be that good um, yeah, so we'll see. I, I think it maybe comes back as well to there was the rumours of him leaving. And, and I wonder if actually for his overall development, maybe going to a different club, somewhere like the Premiership, which is which is slightly more attritional and it's got bigger forwards, um, maybe that would sort of add a bit more of a sort of all-rounded nature to his, to his game. What do you think? Yeah, there is something that... In the Pro 12, where you kind of have five or six game or five or six teams, where you 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 can play like that, and it's it's kind of an easy win. And if you make a few mistakes, it's not really that big a deal if you make a mistake away to Zebra at the end of the day. Whereas you're right in the Premiership, where you know <laughs> almost every game is a tough game, and you've really got to be on game every, every single week. And I think I think I probably quite like it. I think. Whilst we obviously talk about Edinburgh being a bit of a comfort zone, there is something about the whole sort of Glasgow scene that I think for him, you know, he is he is the big name. Um, and I almost think for someone like him moving to a Northampton or um, even something like a Harlequins could just be just sort of a really good change of scene. Um, but at the same time, I want Glasgow to crush it and I'd be absolutely <laughs> devastated if Finn Russell was um, to leave. But I think, I think we're right. I think he's only 24 and I think the next two, three years are so pivotal that he need. I think he's been playing at a really good level and he's shown glimpses and the next sort of two years are where we really want to see him kicking on and I think he's going to do it. Yeah, I think he's got a good, good, good group around him, and that that the, all the Glasgow lads there that are now uh, being successful and are playing at that high level and delivering in in Europe as well. I think they are all of a generation where they are really, really driven. And um, but you never know; maybe he'll start going out with a uh, with a glamour model, and he'll just really fall off the uh, fall off the wagon, do a Cipriani, go out on nightclubs the night the night before in, uh, Scotland games. But uh, hey, we will never ever know. <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna have to wait and see finn don't let us down eh um are we done lads do you reckon uh yeah finn don't date any models 
just don't do it. <laughs> Get yourself a nice, a nice homely girl that's not going to lead you, lead you, lead you too far astray. No glamour models. You know, keep on the straight and narrow. I think that's uh, that's our advice to you, Finn. We know we know you listen. Um, so um, that's us for for another week, guys. I hope you've really enjoyed that. Um, we've got some really great guests coming up. Um, some old great names from uh, Scotland teams gone by. Um, so we're going to be lining those up in the next few weeks. Um, two weeks until Lions announcement. So we're going to be keeping uh, chewing that over. Hopefully. Um, there will be a few Scots for us to uh, support in the summer. And of course, the um, peaks and troughs of Edinburgh and Glasgow ending the Pro 12 season. But for another week, um, that's the thistle. Please follow us on Acast and uh, get onto iTunes and leave us a review and let us know what you think on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. It's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Cheers, guys. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.